to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fulick. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fulick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to disaster recovery, business continuity, resilience, COVID, anything that helps you, your organization, or your community prepare for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please feel free. You can reach out and find me on LinkedIn. I'm the only Alex Fulick there. I'm really easy to find, and I do respond to everything I get. Alternatively, you can find me at alexfulick.com, and I'll reach out to you, and we'll see about getting you on the show. Longtime listeners know that uh, I was presenting at the Continuity and Resilience Today conference in Toronto in early December in last year, I believe it was, and that my hope was to be able to get a couple of those presenters to come on the show. Well, today, I've been able to do that. And I'm really happy to have him here because I've read lots of his articles. So it's really great to have him on the show and talk about uh, different subjects. And I'd like to welcome to the show, Vito Mangiliardi. Did I say the name right, Vito? Thanks, Alex. It's Mangiliardi, but you get right. a, Mangiliardi, you get A plus for effort. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Vito, how you doing? Very well, thank you. I'm happy to. I'm happy that you're having me here today, so I can share some of my thoughts and ideas around the concepts of business continuity. Now, I know you and I've had a conversation, exchange a couple of emails, but just in case somebody out there isn't quite sure who Vito is, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do? Sure. So uh, I'm currently employed by Metrolinx, which is a transit agency in the city of Toronto, commuter rail. And I uh, worry about uh, resiliency at Metrolinx to ensure that we have a, uh, our passengers are safe, our staff are safe, and we have uh, a transit system that operates on time and meets the expectations of our passengers. Historically, I've, had, I've been in business continuity uh, officially since uh, Y2K, for those that can remember that. I have a life sentence to business continuity. I've actually <laughs> written an article on that. Uh, and... Uh, and I really enjoy this practice. Uh, it's it, it's up and down depending on what's going going on out there and who your management team is. But I think uh, we have an opportunity through COVID to uh, really deliver a message on the value business continuity has to all sizes of organizations. I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on a, a few things. So why don't we jump into uh, our list of uh, topics? Because you're going to be uh, giving us some uh, thoughts on uh, you know thought leadership. Actually, let's let's put it that way on business continuity management. So let's start with uh, the first one. What are your thoughts on policy? Well, just before I get into that, Alex, I just want to mention that in, in our discussions today, I may use incident, crisis, disaster, emergency. They're all interchangeable. They kind of mean the same thing, that business is being disrupted, right? And mm-hmm. I think that's really important to consider. So uh, a policy is really important to me because it's, a, it's a, a commitment of the organization that they plan to manage risk. And they also plan to commit to a, a structured program, if you wish, because uh, everybody uh, knows that a business continuity pr- uh, program by itself is, uh, is putting in place these procedures to ensure we mitigate uh, the disruption of the business when events are occurring. And the policy statement is really good to set the tone for how the business should should behave through this whole process. I kind of call it the thou shalt do when, who, why, when kind of document. Sort of, it, it, it lays everything out that says this is what we're going to do. So the policy should be adopted, obviously, by management, uh, the whole management. It could even be the board. And it definitely needs a, an executive sponsor to own that policy. And it doesn't have to be complicated. It can be very, very high level as long as it comes uh, in, has the right information in there. It talks about the framework, talks about roles and responsibilities. It, it names, you know, who the executive sponsor is and what their particular role is. And, and it's part of the journey that organizations need to take. Now, I use this expression that 
organizational resiliency or operational resiliency is this destination that we want to get to, but we can definitely leverage business continuity planning and these policies and these mechanisms to ensure that the organization is doing the right things to assure that resiliency actually kicks in. Now, a policy by itself isn't much fun unless you have the right people in the organization that are supporting that policy. And, you know, it, that's why it, it talks about who's policy talks about who's involved. It sets the priorities along with, you know, what what we're focusing in on, because, you know, business continuity isn't about everything we do. It's about the things that are time sensitive when an incident is occurring. And these are the things we must preserve. So the policy really helps set the stage for that. And also, the policy is very important when we talk about auditing, because we're going to talk about auditing later, because the policy is something that an auditor looks at and says, is the organization doing these things that, the, that management have agreed that we are going to do when we're thinking about resiliency in mind? So, I personally would not, uh, well, a policy is a nice to have, or let's say it's a must have. If I was joining an organization that did not have a policy or an executive sponsor, that to me, wearing my risk hat, would be a red flag that the commitment isn't there to deliver the work. So I'd be very cautious about that. And uh, in in my current role, we uh, starting with a blank sheet of paper, uh, one of the very first deliverables I wanted was that business continuity policy from management, signed, sealed, and delivered. Another thing about a policy that really helps, you can put things in the policy that help you as the practitioner. For example, we're going to report back every couple of months, you know, with the progress to plan. We can define that KPI because the more management can commit to the policy and what's in that policy that drives the program, then you can never be faulted. I don't want to use that word in a negative way, but it helps guide that's what the policy is about, guide you down that path so that you are doing the right things that would generally pass uh, an internal or external audit. And I'm very evidence-based, and I'll close off by saying um, two things. One is I don't want to be in the witness stand without a policy in my hand. And, uh, and Alex, I think you wrote this in 2011, and I'm going to read this, and I totally agree with you. You said a policy shows that a company will prepare for, respond to, and recover from any situation that it encounters to ensure public safety and employee safety. And that, you know what, that's so foundational because safety is first in every policy. And you uh -huh. talked about revenue in your policies being first and you were in the courtroom, you're going to jail, bottom line. <laughs> yep, I agree with that one for sure. I, don't, I have no idea if I wrote that or not. I may have. <laughs> oh, you did. You did write it. <laughs> I did. I'll have to ask you during our break where, because it doesn't really matter. You are. You are. You are very famous, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go to our next one. Um, a mature model. What's a mature program look like? So this is a very interesting one because, uh, firstly. Uh, I believe that maturity is really based to organizational culture and the people that do the work. And I think you need to work on behaviors of staff to really get an effective business continuity program in place. And a business continuity program, which is why they call it a program, is something that takes time. And I've done this several times. And, and to think that in year one, year two, year four, you know, you're there. You might be there in year four, but unless you, you're trending the performance over time, you're really not there. So maturity to me is, is, is something that, that, you know, like a good wine, it needs to, to come together nicely over a period of time. And maturity for organizations comes in a lot of different flavors because some are big companies, some, some are small companies. As you know, you have the every man or person for themselves when, <laughs> when crisis strikes, or you have a very, uh, a, a very formalized business continuity program where you've adopted a standard, for example, right? And you're following it exactly to a T and you've got continuous improvement built in. Built in. So those are really good good types of things to see um, inside the program. And, and, you know, maturity also goes with that policy, commit, commitment and management. And you have to make sure that in that time, you know, in that program that you are doing the right things, you're growing. So my suggestion with maturity is that you start easy and you and you make it more challenging as you go along. And a great example of that would be, uh, you know, uh, I like sports. And uh, if I was coaching, which I've done in the past, 
uh, my team would play a team that I know they could beat and they start to build confidence. But then every now and then I'd bring a team along that they would lose against. And then they realize that their strategies, their game strategy needs to be adjusted based on what's happening in the field. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, the same thing with business continuity and, and maturity. You know, you've got your frameworks, you've got your policies, but you really need to, to adjust them to the best of your ability. Now, within your within a, a mature program, you really need to have KPIs, right? And we're going to talk about KPIs later, but this is also embedded in your policy. And I'm going to say, Alex, everything we're talking about kind of overflows into the next topic. It's all connected. Like you can't do things alone. You know, there's the easy way and the right way. And I always like to believe that we got to do it the right way, right? Evidence-based program, right? So you have to have KPIs, which are really, you know, helps measure your, you know, your program, your maturity year in and year out. So you may start with a low KPI target, but as you're maturing, you're getting to a higher KPI target. What, I, I'm going to jump in a question because I know somebody is probably thinking this. Is a KPI a tick box? I have a plan. Well, it, it can be, it can be a tick box, but at the end of the day, the, uh, the KPI is something that really is measuring things that you are doing to ensure your plan is in the state of readiness. So one of the things we might say in a mature program is management, VP management is putting their name on that plan that says, I accept that plan and I accept any risk within that plan that it meets the perform the required defined performance levels of my business that he owns. Now, I wouldn't call that a checkbox. That is a commitment to review and sign up to, to that plan because your VPs uh, are officers of the company. They're responsible for, uh, for the business. They're fiduciary, right? So by putting their names on the plan at the end of the year annual cycle is a commitment to the policy that they take ownership of that plan. So it's not, uh, you know, that's a really mature place to be. Um, and at the end of the day, if they choose to sign up and the plan is inadequate, you know, they've accepted the risk. Because we as practitioners are like teachers, mentors, we're, we're um, you know, we're, we, we coach the business and try to think about resiliency. We give them the tools to plan. We really don't own anything except giving them the framework and helping them be successful. They own their piece of the business. They need to sign up. And by the way, Alex, if you told me that I was going to hire consultants to write plans, you know, I'm sorry for all the consultants that may be listening to this. I don't want to work for an organization that relies on consultants to write plans because we need to teach people how to write plans and we need to teach people to understand business continuity. So they own that piece for their silos, for their buckets, for the work they deliver, right? Mm. So we need to make sure that they're hands-on when they all do this because that supports that, um, that supports culture. When you can get behavior in place and you're getting a culture sh- cultural shift in place and mature starts to happen naturally. And mm. I'm sure you've heard this a thousand times. If we're doing our jobs right, we don't need to be here anymore. It should be embedded. It should be strategic. Yeah, agreed. So what kind of things should we measure then? Uh, because uh, a lot of times, and there's been different guests and, and different thoughts that people will just have a checklist. You, finance has a plan, tick. Um, we did a test, tick. And then they measure based on that. But I know from our conversations and things that I've heard you say before, we, we need to go beyond that. So yeah, what kind need- of things would you suggest measuring? So we're going to, we might be dipping a little bit into the KPIs, which we can do. Sure. That's a great lead in actually, right? So uh, as you know, uh, KPIs are what organizations use to measure business. And you can do exactly the same thing for a business continuity program. And, and what I have done surgically since I've started this practice using my project management capabilities, I've done a work breakdown of my program. Now, that all stems from the framework and the standards you follow, right? So what we do is it's not just a checkbox to say they have a plan. Well, first of all, you do your BIA. You understand what is critical in the business that must be preserved that is time sensitive. Now, you may have a laundry list of, you know, and, and as we know, business continuity is process-centric, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, processes and functions that must be preserved. Well, are the processes and operations more important than the processes in the HR department? And I would say yes. 
So those processes might have a higher weighting and ranking at the end of the day. They have more value in the KPI. So I would feel much, you know, if I was reporting progress to the plan in my program, and I would, you know, we're not 50% done because you could have 50% of the wrong plans in place. And they're not that they're wrong plans. They're just not as important than the operational plans. So then you start the weighting and ranking of the different business units and what they deliver and what they support in the business. And then on top of that, you can furthermore by saying, well, have they refreshed their plan, updated the plan? Have they created a plan? Have they exercised that plan? Have they got the VP sign-off? So those now become other numerical values that, w- that get weighted just as much. So have you done these things for that particular plan? You know, and includes that sign-off that we think uh, that is very important. And I define uh, a, a KPI for uh, a business continuity program. It's the ability or maturity to react to incidences and deliver the right responses in a timely manner to mitigate the impact. So, if you have a plan, and I'll use a contact center, and I may use that a lot, if you have a customer contact center that handles 1,000 calls a day, but your business continuity plan handles 10 calls a day, yeah, you might have a plan, but it doesn't meet the performance of the business, where the, where, which is where the sign-off comes in. So you can see it's all sort of intertwined, but it's, pretty, it's really easy at the end of the day to figure this out. I mean, it doesn't matter if you have 10 plans or 75 plans. Wait and rank them to the importance of the business. And this goes back to your policy when you're in management, because you're saying to management that when we do our KPIs, any KPI associated with safety is number one, something that is associated with what we put out on our loading dock, what you deliver to customers, what they pay for is number two. It's all current business. Communications might be number three. And uh, the security of assets and the privacy of information might be number four. And if we only focus on those things when an incident is occurring, uh, then we're doing the right things. And we can measure those things. So we know there's a higher probability, keyword, that we are going to survive the incident and, and not have reputational damage or loss of revenue. Because those are the bonuses if you do, if you do planning right. Right. And we also, uh, I'm assuming we would add some sort of a testing metric in there or exercise. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah, because that that's one of your typical deliveries. And by the way, testing itself, you can, you can weight that. So if the, it depends if you are um, designing the exercise for the, the user or they're choosing one themselves. So, hey, I'm going to do a tabletop exercise. How easy is that? So, if the tabletop component of the KPI for the sake of argument is worth 20%, well, if they do a, a tabletop exercise, they may only get five of that 20%. But if they do a full-scale exercise, they'll get 20% of the 20%. So yeah. that supports readiness, right? You know, and we would not accept a tabletop exercise from an operational group, but we would accept a tabletop exercise if you were HR in the hiring process, not that that's an essential function, right? So right. You, may, you may pick a certain exercise for a certain group that, that promotes a higher weighting and a state of readiness. And to me, that's very defendable. I mean, I've been there before. And, you know, when, you, when you're uh, creating that path or that roadmap of these things you must do that you're getting measured against, uh, it, st- it starts to change the behaviors, you know, because people want to do better because they understand they start to understand the need to do better than just having the check mark. Well, let's take that a step further, proving that you're doing what you say you're going to do, and move into audit. Right, what that's there? also a very, a very excellent uh, topic. And you know, as you know, that a program audit is sort of is a is a formalized method of evaluating. You know, uh, it's evaluating what we said we're going to do to what we actually done. And, and it's no different than exercises. If we talk about exercises, the way I measure an exercise is what are my expected results versus my actual results. And I find that auditing is exactly the same way. So we really want to determine whether the planning is as effective as we thought would be against policy and the organizational objectives, right? At the end of the day. So when we think about the three lines of defense, Alex, you've heard that before, right? Mm-hmm. Right? And so when you think about three lines of defense, the front line are the folks that actually write the plans. 
they're in the business. They're at the front line. They're in the trenches, right? So they be, they're the best individuals to mitigate against disruption because they know in their head or they practices, they have SOPs. They know what to do to actually mitigate the impact. Now, we're kind of stuck in the middle. The business continuity office or the business continuity practitioner, one, the office, four people. We've got the tools and the knowledge to help the front line. So we've got the policy by management. So we're forcing ourselves out there, you know, evangelizing business continuity. Hey, if you, if you follow these templates and you do these things, you're going to protect your work and you're going to survive and the business is going to thrive on, right? And then the auditor is where they come in at the back end and they really measure the effectiveness of the program. Are we doing what we said we're going to do? And the policy says thou shalt do. The front line said, this is what we did. And we're in the middle saying we did the best we could to get them to do what they're supposed to do. But here are the results. And the auditor will see, did they update their plan? How often? Did they exercise a plan? How difficult did we make that? Uh, did they get the VP sign off? At the, did they? How often did you do the BIA, right? So they'll go in and look at all those things. Now, of course, within your policy, we hope you have a standard, right? Like ISO 22301. Um, you know, NFPA, you pick it. They're all fundamentally the same thing. They all have the practices that are, uh, that will generally protect your business, right? So they'll look at that standard, look at the policy, then they'll dive into the work you do, you know, and, and they'll, they'll take a look. And it's not so much about how many pages are in the plan, how big and heavy it is. Where I'm going, Alex, these days, and my best example is when I get on an airplane and I look at that pamphlet that's got three sides on it. It tells me how to get out of the plane in a real hurry. I don't read the first, you know, it's not a book where I read about the history of aircraft and flying. And then finally back here, I understand where the exits are. So, you know, to me, it's about, that's how it needs business continuity. That's where we're heading. And auditing, you know, will help us, you know, do we have the right content? Is the plan becoming difficult? Is it a user-friendly document? Is it, it, is it meeting the mark? Is it, is, it, is it truly helping the organization become resilient, right? Reactions, right? And I think about, you know, reaction time in the pamphlet, you know, it's, it's we've got to be able to hit the ground running with these documents. And the auditors, if you have a good auditor that is trained and understands business continuity, you'll get the results you need. And if I can give you any advice to you, Alex, or our folks out there, and I love it when auditors show up, the first thing I say, so tell me about your business continuity experience. <laughs> because if they don't... A lot of it has to do with an internet search. <laughs> no, no, but you're right. But if they say, you know, you've heard this before, show, like we're a big company, show me your business continuity plan. Well, organizations have dozens of plans that make up the plan, right? Yeah. Right? And to me, that you know, they, it's, you know, can I get a copy of your plan? No, there's confidential information in our plan. And there's strategies in there that, that, that we use that we know are right. You need business continuity practitioners lead, need to lead their organizations in such a way that they're leading and not following what others are doing. Let's yeah. do what they did. Now, you need to take this information, create a, a model that works for you, get your policy in place with framework. So then the auditors come along, they say, you are doing what you said you're going to do mm -hmm. and not being measured by what they are doing. And that's really important takeaway. Yeah, I agree. And uh, quite often, too, what an auditor will, if they find a, a gap or something, they'll say, what are you doing about it? Why didn't you make this? Um, that, you know, you set yourself this goal, you didn't meet it. What, what are you doing about it to meet it? And it's, well, because we had a situation. So the priority was to get our business up and running, not to uh, get a signature or something like that. Oh, okay. You know, it, and I can prove, do you, here's all the calendar invites. We had meetings. Here's all the documentation from uh, exercises. We did our tests. You know, so we are doing, you know, what we said we would do. You know, and what we couldn't do, here's the reason why, and here's the proof why. So. And, and that's, that's a really interesting point, because for me, um, I don't really care if the VP signs off on the plan. What I care about, it's been updated. It's reflecting process, technology, people, business changes, and we've exercised it. Yeah. And, and, and I say that confidently, because if you've been working with this family of uh, business continuity leads out there that own the business, you start to build a trust with them, the behaviors, right? 
Yeah. When most people in the early days, they want to shunt off business continuity because they don't want to do it. And they, Bob's doing it now. Well, I say, okay, well, if Bob's doing it, make sure your VP sends me a note that says Bob's doing it. Until then, Alex, your name is on this plan. Yeah. <laughs> Ownership and accountability, right? I mean, and I want uh, you, Alex, to put this in your PMP. You need to be measured by it. Again, behaviors. I want your VP to assign this to you. So you put this in your personal performance for the year. So you're interested in doing the work. Yep. Correctly. Yep. Agreed. Right. On that note, we've come to the end of our first segment. We're talking with Vito Mangialardi. Mangialardi. Said it right this time. Doing good. On business continuity, thought leadership. And we will be right back. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Fullick. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Small businesses are in trouble, and it didn't just start with COVID-19. From the recession several years ago to the revolution of e-commerce giants more recently, small businesses are getting hit hard and need to come back. Tune in to Business Buzz and Business Watch. It's two shows in one, hosted by Frank Hellring. We'll help your small business bounce back with best practices, guest experts, and resources that you can use to strengthen your small business. Listen Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Tune in each week for the Labenthal Report with hosts Dominic Tavella and Michael Hartzman. The Labenthal Report keeps you in tune with market conditions, investment opportunities, and outlooks based on the stories and headlines to keep you in touch with your financial success. Are you picking the right financial path? Find out by listening to The Labenthal Report live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. We are talking about business continuity management thought leadership with Vito Mangiliardi. Vito, lots of great information in our first segment. Let's continue this with these some of these different topics. How about, and you mentioned some of this already, exercising. Virtual exercises versus real-time exercises. What are your thoughts? So exercises are one of my favorite parts of business continuity planning. It really excites me. And uh, I've been doing this for quite a while. And to me, virtual exercises or real-time exercises, there really isn't much different. Because at the end of the day, we're doing these exercises to make sure that these plans, you know, are meeting the defined recovery objectives. And, you know, and, and it's not like pass or fail. We think about tests. It's about performance. We're trying to understand, can we operationalize this plan if a real event occurs? And I'll use the, the, the term hit the ground running again. Uh, and can we identify some opportunities to improve them? Uh, validate the strategies we came up in planning. Are they really going to work? Are the people that are using them, are they comfortable with them? Are they really gonna, going to produce the results that we were looking for? And I don't know if you remember this or not, but there was a great book written in 1977, and uh, it was called The Death of Distance. And it talked about living in the internet world in the next century. And, you know, we are living that world, you know, it's based on that book where everything is virtual. And right now, um, 
I don't know about you, but I, when my past role, I was responsible for business continuity nationally. Even the planning was done virtually. So the incidents that were occurring, we were responding to them virtually. So doing the exercise is really no different. Uh, it, 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 there's a couple of great opportunities in doing these exercises virtually. Uh, you know, you have to understand the tools, but uh, at the end of the day, it's still no difference. You've got to have an exercise plan. You've got to be able to measure the performance of that plan. And to me, that's one of the very most important things. I go back to what are the expected results versus the actual results? And where do we find the expected results, Alex? Pop quiz for you. Where should those expected results be when you think about it? Where should the results be? Well, yeah. they should be me. They are our goals and objectives. This is what I'm expecting to see. So it's and documented somewhere so I can measure back. And, and typically, all that those things you do are in your plan. And you should be – so I always use the analogy of the flat tire as well. There are 16 things you need to do to replace a tire safely. And that includes taking it back to the garage, putting uh, – taking the donut off, which says you don't, can only do 80 kilometers an hour for 200 kilometers – putting your spare tire back and putting your good tire back on. Those are all the things you need to do to successfully ex exchange or replace the tire in your car. So if we were doing an exercise, I would be asking, you know, the, virtually, so tell me the things you would need to do to change your exercise, to change a flat tire. And he would be, they would be listing these things off. Hopefully they've read the manual in the glove box, which is your business continuity plan. And they should be saying, well, I need to do these things. And that, to me, is measuring. And so it doesn't matter if you're physically doing it or, you know, it's in a virtual world. You are doing something that says, if we do these series of events, go back to the KPI we talked about that's in the policy that says our ability to respond and do the necessary actions or introduce the actions to mitigate the impact. That's what exercises are about. Now, let's measure. Are we doing those things to ensure that the 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 business function is is the RTO, if you wish, is back online as quickly as we can. Now, RTOs are always associated with the technology, but we need to introduce RTOs and exercises because some people will also say um, in an exercise, well, we, we, we did exactly what we said we would do on our plan. And one thing I've introduced in our plan is time. So when you think about all these steps, well, how long did it take you to do those 16 steps? So if you said to me, well, I replaced my flat tire in, in a day, I'm going, well, that's not good enough. When you're on the side of the highway, you want to change your flat tire in 22 minutes and be on your way because you've got commitments, right? So you got to bring all this into your exercise to make sure that, that um, it works. Now, the benefit of a virtual exercise, of course, is, you know, people can be anywhere and everybody can participate as opposed to I can't come into the office today, I can't do it. Now, there are some exercises that lend themselves to be done in real time. It depends how many people. And so I, I, you know, I compare it to what I call a component exercise might be one plan, but an integrated exercise might be 20 plans. Now, the, I find integrated exercises work really well in a virtual world as long as everything is structured, right? Versus a, a, a one plan, an element plan that can be done fairly, fairly easily. At the end of the day, and it doesn't matter um, how you do your exercises, take the time to do it, plan it out, get senior leadership there, get the executive sponsor there. These people need to see the work people are doing and how they're preparing and how they're feeling comfortable going through these exercises, you know, uh, ensuring that the plan can be operationalized when needed. Keyword there, I can operationalize my plan when needed to meet the defined service level. And don't be afraid to include those executives in your exercise. Yeah, absolutely. And, and in virtual exercises, you know, even though we're not doing things, I like to include real props, use images. There's lots of things you can get these days to make things come alive in PowerPoint explosions of uh, videos like and the more you introduce those into your exercises it become they start to feel it because it you know i read this article a long time ago and it's so true and i'll even say it for the flat tire people that have done those things are the first to do them in a crisis people that have managed crises real time surface to become leaders during crises they're not afraid to roll up their sleeves and do because they know 
what it feels like. So when you do a virtual exercise or a real-time exercise, make it feel real the best way you can. Right? <laughs> and, 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 it, and I'll leave you with, don't be afraid to make it spontaneous in a surprise exercise. I find we, these exercises we do are just becoming too easy. And to your point earlier, Alex, it's the checkbox. Yeah. Yeah. I've been coming across that a lot lately. It's COVID has proven how many organizations had a checkbox uh, mentality. Let's move on to the next one, climate change and business continuity. Right. So, if we've uh, learned anything, uh, COVID-19 is a great symbol for the unexpected. And I think climate change has been around. We haven't been paying much attention to it, but lately we've seen some pretty strange weather. I try to keep climate change uh, a little bit shorter, but I think that practitioners definitely need to communicate to the leaders that climate change is a business risk and it's now. We need to do something about it. So where does business continuity and climate change intersect? Well, in the short term today, we really need to manage the impacts of severe weather caused by climate change, because that's what's starting to happen, right? Mm -hmm. We're getting these, these weather events that are occurring that are, that are just not, we're getting that 100-year 100, 100 storm four times a year. You know, so if your assets are exposed, we now need to do something about it. So sustainability then says, well, if that area continues to flood, maybe we better move that operation to, a, you know, to a flood-free zone. You either adapt or you move. Business continuity is adapting to the effects of the impacts of climate change. Um, adaptability, you know, adapting to it is sustainability. So if I think about uh, transit very quickly when it gets really hot the rails start to warp a little bit because of the steel so the trains have to run slower this is any any r- railway will tell you this it's railway in 101 now how do you solve that you change the steel and the rail to a different type of steel that doesn't warp in high temperature so the trains can perform as normal but you can't just go out and change all the tracks around the world or in your backyard that quickly that's sustainability that's the that's something you need to plan for long term so business continuity is really short term and i'll give you a really other quick example about this data centers they're becoming smaller the equipment's becoming hotter the hvac system has to manage the great heat inside but now it also has to manage the great heat outside so it's dr by design we have to build these things right today for the future tomorrow and and i think that that really um pulls it all together. And our last topic was exercises. I love every exercise I do now. It's not just about one thing. It's about four things. And the day starts with, it's going to be a heat wave today at 96 degrees. And people say, oh, well, okay, what's the big deal? But then as your exercise evolves, that heat in that day starts to play in because we always forget about the cascading effect of events. We learned through COVID, how do we fight fires during COVID? Or how do you recover, you know, uh, when there's lots of people when you're, you know, you've got to start layering these events in your exercises and climate changes. The impacts of severe weather is a great one. So, and I'm going to leave you with, ask this question. Could could climate change have caused the pandemic? That's the question. Don't need to answer it. But think about that. Mm -hmm. Next topic, uh, and I'm really interested to hear what your thoughts on this one is. Industry certifications and standards. So uh, industry certifications and standards. I'm going to talk a bit more on certifications because standards really don't mean. I've done a lot of studies and standards, and to me, they mean all the same thing. The important thing is adopt the standard, follow the f- framework. And if you're, if you're rich enough as an organization, I wouldn't even say to certify to that standard unless you absolutely have to because you're an airplane manufacturer or whatever. But mm-hmm. post this pandemic, absolutely. Professionals are in demand, and many sectors are requiring this professional certification to be in their portfolio because they're now realizing the value that business continuity has. Like we're still not revenue generating, we're not insurance, we're not auditors, we're we're protect we're superheroes protecting the business, and this pandemic has brought that forward. And yes, it can you know promote your credibility in the work you do, and it's great for networking and so on and so forth. And certification, you know. Uh, demonstrate your commitment to the practice. But for me, Alex, I'm going to, sorry, in my opinion, 
having experience is much more important than than the certification. That's just me, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, experience can trump your academic studies um, and being certified, but the hands-on approach to, to learning and responding to business disruption is really, really important. Uh, you know, having that knowledge, having the skills, the critical thinking, uh, the incident management, the decision-making, uh, team building, problem solving, you know, as I said earlier, unless you're living through those events, you don't get that. And I've been to, you know, I see a lot of uh, students coming out of emergency management, uh, you know, uh, education, you know, wanting to do what we do. And they have all these, this theory, but they have to apply the theory to the real event. And, and there's a disconnect there. It'll come in time. Don't get me wrong. It will surface. But to me, if I was hiring tomorrow and you were a practitioner and you talked about living through 9-11 and SARS and other you know, major events and labor disruption, uh, you know, to me, that, that's an invaluable. Now, I would then suggest maybe you should get certified because I think that would be a good benefit to bridge that in. But uh, I'm, I'm a half glass full on the, exercise, on the experience side, Alex. I agree with you because uh, I've run into some people who who um, don't have the experience, but they've got the certification. I'm going, well, that's, you know, are you sure? You, you know, that, that doesn't seem to be balanced out right. You know, I, I personally would rather see the experience, you know, come into it because the examples you gave, I'm talking to someone who's gone through SARS or 9-11 or, or you know, other situations. Wow. That, you know, what can I learn from you? What did you do? You know, I, th- I find that incredibly valuable, you know, but it, it, it's interesting. There are a lot of people now who are looking at certifications as uh, people who might not have thought about it before are definitely looking at it like, wow, all the experience I have, I can apply for this now. And, and certification is a really good lead way into the, the next topic when I talk about the right stuff, because experience is good. You know, certification, education, all that stuff is fine, but are you the right individual to be in the practice, right? right. So, yep. you know, so if, if, if you want to be a, a, a pilot in an airplane, that's wonderful. But if you're afraid of heights, maybe not, right? So, you know, and I, I call this the right stuff because I wrote an article, Tom Wolf's book, you know, on the U.S. space program. He called it the right stuff. It was released in 1983. And, and I always found that very interesting about ordinary people. You know, they were selected to share this ambition of going into space and being the right type of person. And I, I personally believe that if you're going to be the right type of person as a business continuity practitioner, and I can throw that into ITDR, incident management, you need to have certain skills to meet the baseline of being the right stuff to be, you know, that person. We thought when we just talked about all our previous topics here um, and even the last one around standards, I mean, you've got to have project management, time management, facilitation skills, negotiation skills. You've got to be able to build solid relationships uh, one-on-one and groups. You've got to be able to do this talking, you know, on a, in a virtual webinar and, and evangelizing, you know, you've got to be seen as, you know, you're passionate. You got to turn that on inside of you. You know, you've got to, you know, because everybody does this off the side of the desk. If you can't motivate them to do it, you're not going to get it done. Going back to the policy, the KPIs, you know, the standards, all those things we talked about, it just doesn't come together. We are the glue, the practitioner, the program is what brings it all together at the end of the day. And you got to be able to function with no support. Because as you know, usually your team of one or two or three depends where you are, right? And you've got right. to be available all the time because people may give you the time at the end of the day or the weekend to do the work. And you've got to dig deep and do that. And, you know, not to mention when incident happens, 724, we're, you know, global now, e-commerce, rely on vendors. You know, we just got to be able to, to, to bring it all together. We have to bridge this whole thing that people don't get that, Business continuity is rooted in risk management. We're a control, you know, and we need to be able to connect all this. My advice to people out there, I don't even talk about business continuity anymore. I talk about resiliency and risk. And inside there lives business continuity. The board loves hearing from me when I talk about that. But if I try to get on their calendar about business continuity, they go, yeah, we'll try to get you on there. But I you know, talk about resiliency and risk, then it's a totally different, different. And the other thing about having the right stuff 
And I remember going to a university and giving a lecture on this. If you're not prepared to, to engage people to do the work the right way and not the easy way, and or back to KPIs, throw your stakeholders, forgive me for saying this, under the bus when the work isn't getting done or escalating, you know, you know, you're not, you're not the right person. I mean, I will tell you that, you know, I've seen VPs walk away from me in the days when we used to walk in the halls of the offices because they know, <laughs> that too. They, you know, they haven't got the work done. And, you know, to me, we're just the middle, middle people trying to deliver, facilitate the work getting done. So you have to be able to report, write it, call people out, you know, go beyond the call of duty to get the work done. Cause that's what we are hired to do, right? Alex, we're hired to deliver these programs. And, and that's why if it's not on your PMP, then I struggle with that. If I need to get you to do this work and it's not on your PMP, there's no skin in the game for you. Yeah, so, we, we cannot be afraid to um, not, we can't be afraid to open the can of worms. We have to add, open those cans of worms when we need to. And I go back to evidence-based program planning. When you're in the witness stand and and you say, well, Bob said or Carol said they didn't have time to do it, so I I didn't push him. You're you're going to be not in a good place where I'd rather say, well, I sat outside the office for th- three times and they didn't respond and they didn't respond to my emails. I escalated to the boss, their boss, and they really didn't do much about it. Oh, thanks, Alex. Please sit down. Who's your boss? Oh, Bill's your boss. Bill, so what did you do about it? You knew this was a risk to the business. It's a control we need to mitigate. Yeah. You know, so I don't want to sound negative with that, but you've got to be able to project manage these things with success in mind. So relationship building, team building, communications, having a good attitude, those are all things that will drive the results that you need. So let's move to our last one because we've only got just over four minutes left. Okay. And the last one is personal preparedness. Now, this is a really important one. And, and for me, uh, when I think of personal preparedness, personal preparedness, I think about making sure that my family, myself and my family were prepared before an incident occurs, during an incident occurs or after the incident. You know, emergency, disaster can be man-made. It can be, um, sorry, person-made or a natural disaster. And it's like, I'm going to go grab my 72-hour bag and I'm going to, uh, rely on my own. And by the way, Hurricane Katrina taught us that it's no longer 72 hours. It needs to be like seven days. And, you, you know, so, yeah. so there's lots of different things that happen. So to me, it's a really about um, ensuring that, that uh, you are, you're, you are okay, because um, any successful business continuity plan, incident remo- response plan relies on two things how well your plan is and the people you need to find in the plan to act as responders, right? So if you are not personally in the right state of mind, it's very unlikely that you're going to be able to do your job under adverse conditions. Now, I'll give you a great example, Hurricane Katrina in 05, because I was telecom then, Bell South in the U.S., you know, their staff was all over the place, their central offices were underwater, you know, they quickly pulled a rabbit out of a hat and built a tent city for their, their key employees. And they brought all their families into this tent city, gave them food, water, everything they needed, and cell phones. And then they took the staff back to work because the staff knew that their families were safe and they were being taken care of and they could go off and do their jobs. And, and this is really important. Now, there's lots of different flavors of that. If if Alex is a very unique person with a unique skill set, and when my business is having trouble because of an incident, I need Alex here, but Alex lives out in the country. Well, let's move Alex's family to the hotel across the street from the office. So Alex doesn't have to worry about his family. They've got everything they need. Give them the Amex card and they're good to go. And when Alex is done after working his 12-hour day, he doesn't have to drive two hours to get home because I need him back here. Or not at all. Or not. You know, just, you know, now virtual environments, excluding virtual environments, but this is all about taking care of your employees to make sure that they're available. And another one we used to do is we have a lot of non-essential staff, right? Business continuity, BIAs, people that we worry about, work we worry about, then there's the work we don't worry about. What about assigning some of those staff to your place out in the country and be with your family? So there's people there to help them. 
because I don't know about you, Alex, but I've lived through a few incidences where people have just simply said, I'm out of here. Period. Yep. I, I've seen, I've known a couple of people who've done that too. And we only have one, one minute left, by the okay. way. So, <clears throat> so, um, so I leave you with that. I mean, I think you really got to take care of your staff to make sure that they're highly available to support your work. And you have to find ways of doing that. Get HR involved, get management involved, because without your people, your plan ain't going anywhere. Yeah, it won't get done. It won't get executed. It won't. With, without your people, you've got nothing. Yeah. yeah. So your people are, are, are very important to your plan. Yeah. I, know, I know we're running out of time, but there's so many stories with 9-11. You know, I can't begin to tell you how the human, human, human element of all this plays into, you know, the success of your plan. So all this work, all this preparation you've done, you know, working hard can all come crashing down because the people just don't show up or they're not prepared to work. Yeah. Thank you, Alex, so much for taking, having me into your world and sharing these thoughts and ideas. And I hope your, your delegates out there take something away and build on it. Even one little thing, I'd be so happy. I think so. There was some good comments there, especially with the KPIs and things like that. You know, get away from that tick box mentality of uh, measurement. I think that was a really interesting one. And you gave a lot of great uh, examples and uh, you know, all the subjects we talked about here. So I think there's lots for people to take away. So Vito, thank you very much for joining us today. I really appreciate you sharing your expertise and time. And it was great to finally have you on the show, knowing that I've seen your name so many times over the years. So it's nice to finally actually have you here. And, and I hope I get the opportunity maybe to come back to deal with a very specific topic you may have. But thank you very much, Alex. Remember. Be positive and test negative. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> and my closing comment, everybody watching and listening, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.